video recordings of this podcast can be found on RaisingEquity.org and Raising Equity on YouTube. Hey folks, welcome to Raising Equity. I'm Dr. Kira Banks. On today's episode, I am talking to the amazing Nicole Lee, who is a movement lawyer, founder of Inclusive Life, and a friend. And I thought she was the perfect person to talk about uh, now Supreme Court Justice Katanji Brown-Jackson and what it means, what her appointment means, and then more broadly, what it means as a Black woman for this appointment to have been made and to think all things law and its implications. So welcome, Nicole. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, no, you were like the first person I thought of. I was like, I'm not a legal expert and I don't know, right? But you have this history, not only as a lawyer, but also living in D.C. And so I would love to hear from you kind of what you thought. Let's step back. Not even once, you know, everything was confirmed, right? But what did you think when the announcement was made about her being the nominee? Well, a couple of things I felt um, I was actually relieved. I hadn't really gotten myself, um, you know, like hyped up into a frenzy over the specifics. I was really happy um, when then candidate Biden said, I'm going to to appoint a black woman to the Supreme Court. I I thought it was actually a very bold thing to say. Um, And it said to me, I know that there are qualified black judges that are that have federal experience. And there are many that I can pick from. Um, And I think that actually said a lot about his understanding of what the federal bench looks like and who is there. Now, I got a little nervous. Go ahead. I feel like that's so generous, though, because what you said, I wish he had said, right? Like, I'm willing to make this statement because I know there are so many qualified, amazing women, Black women who've been overlooked, who are more than qualified, right? Because I felt like by not saying more, he left it open for for some people to misinterpret and say, oh, it's just tokenizing. So I wish he had said all that you just said. I think you're right. I think I think you're right. Maybe I am being a little bit generous to him, but I will say that the reason why I'm so glad it was Judge Brown Jackson is that she kind of blows any notion of tokenism out of the water. I mean, just by who she is. Um, we know that while Black women make up, you know, in the single digits percentage of lawyers and certainly in the single digits of judges, um, there are many that really do stand out and succeed. And you know, even the Washington Post had put out that, and probably a lot of people saw this, had put out a chart basically showing stacked up against the current justices by indices that have been used over time to exclude women and women of color in particular, she blows them all out of the water. And so I thought it was it was an interesting and I I guess actually there's a little bit of pragmatism in it, though. I think that he knew what he was saying. I think he knew that, hey, I can say this to a, a black uh, women constituency who is out here for me during this election that is still, as usual, in every voting season, doing a significant amount of the work. I can say this because I actually do know who is out there. Now, I Brown, D- Justice Brown Jackson, to me, um, I started to get a little bit nervous, though, I guess, and again, because I do live in D.C., that maybe Lindsey Graham had put his thumb on the scale. 
That actually worried me a little bit because, of course, he also stated um, that there was a judge that met, you know, those basic qualifications that had been described in Biden's statement that he would basically make sure she could move through um, without problems. When we look at their their records, though, like in their their experience to me, uh, Justice Brown Jackson was was the right choice. And I actually was really glad that. Um, Biden didn't take that bait from Lindsey Graham because I thought it was bait because, of course, then you do what Republicans say. We see this all the time. You do what Republicans say. And then, you know, the snake still bites you because there's still a snake. Right. Right. Okay, that's helpful because it's interesting. Right. There was a lot of flurry of of op eds and all sorts of talk, even just with the nomination and him keeping that campaign promise. Uh, But then I I honestly. (sighs) I guess I'm thinking that through this confirmation hearing, were you surprised? Maybe I'll just ask that. Were you surprised? So I spent the confirmation hearing week outside of the United States on a beautiful beach. And I still couldn't escape it. I still couldn't. And, you know, and I find myself... I was here through, I was, and watched the Brett Kavanaugh hearings and was very, um, and saw a lot of different things. I saw people that I had known, for example, for years that were Republicans, but I had actually thought genuinely they might be those Republicans due to taxes. No, 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 no. They created coalitions. Women created commercials in support of Judge Kavanaugh regardless of what he was has allegedly done, regardless of the information. Um, and I would say to me, that really taught me about the lengths that folks will go, whether they're for a candidate or against a candidate. So that just, you know, full court press that his nomination got all of the, um, all of the chances, all of the, um, the, uh, the doubt, if you will, to the allegations, all of just the horrible treatment that um, the woman who came forward, the doctor who came forward um, to say that she had been sexually assaulted. I knew that all that energy would absolutely be coming against um, Justice Brown Jackson. And um, it was it was painful. It was I felt it was really shameful, in part because there was no Um, there were no facts that needed to be discovered. There was no question. There was no, oh, wait, this this thing in her background, is there a character flaw? Would this affect her on the bench? Like there has been in so many other cases, like there was with Clarence Thomas, like there was with Brett Kavanaugh. Yet she was treated as if there was something questionable and yet no question was ever brought. And I think that that's what... That is the story of black women in the United States of America. But it felt really um, it felt very obvious, even, you know, as I tried to just enjoy the beach. It felt like, no, nope, this is this is the lot we continue to have. Yeah. Yeah. I, I tried to avoid watching it in real time, but w- would do little recaps because I felt like then I could. I don't know why I wanted some agency. <laughs> I wanted some control. And. I remember just thinking, 
Let's see what they come up with, right? Let's see what story they try to weave to discredit her. Because like you said, I mean, really, there's no question she's overqualified if, you know, like if we want to use that term, she's highly qualified. Uh, There's no question in terms of her qualifications. And, you know, I'm in St. Louis, Missouri. So when Holly and that crew started asking questions around how she was um, prosecuting cases that had to do with... um, uh, like child predators. Um, it was, it was kind of laughable the way that they were trying to weave this narrative as if she was in some way a sympathizer of folks who are predators of children or was, uh, dismissive. And I'm like, okay, they're doing a lot of work to try to discredit her. Will this work? Will this work? Well, and and I, the saddest thing about that whole piece is so, and, and I think it's important for folks to understand judges follow sentencing guidelines or good judges yeah. follow sentencing guidelines. She met the sentencing guidelines each and every time in those cases. Um, and yet they still, right, wanted to show, oh, no, 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 but see, this makes her a sympathizer. This is my personal take on it. I actually mm-hmm. think they were getting at something else, too, that I think is just to me is really interesting about her record as I've as I've read her record. What? You know, so there's so the Republicans began this so-called war on drugs what, 30 years ago. I'm you know, we're all losing time. I'm realizing that 30 years ago was like 1990. So, no, it was longer ago, 50 years ago. But we've started this. Judge Brown Jackson is the only will now be the only Supreme Court justice with defense prosecution or or defense counsel experience. She has defended people in criminal court. One of the things that she used to do is not let prosecutors overreach, not let police overreach. So, you know, there's a case, for example, that came up, I believe, when she was a district judge where um, the government had seized heroin from a suspect. They'd seized the heroin. They had the heroin. But then they wanted the person who was being charged to pay the street equivalent, which was something like $180,000 as well. They had the heroin in hand. But they still also want to fine this person $180,000. Now, I think I don't have to tell people that if you actually were trying to rehabilitate and restore people, there's no way in the world somebody's going to be able to pay that much money if they were selling drugs to begin with. Like, obviously, there's a correlation between not having money and doing something that is illegal that can get you put in jail. She said that was an overreach. She said, you have the drugs in hand. You don't need to fine her in that way. It just it takes the statute that they were using and distorts it in a way that justice will not allow. It's things like that they don't like about her. What they don't like about her is she does not allow for the poorest of the poor, the most marginalized in our society, whether we think they're quote unquote bad or good. She didn't allow people to be abused in her courtroom. I think it probably comes from her personal background. I also think it it probably comes from her time as a defense attorney. But to me, like they knew that child abuse thing was a stretch, but it would make news just like we know. And I did not see this in real time. But Ted Cruz is, you know, watching his Twitter, searching himself on Twitter to know where he's at. I think what they really were concerned about her, she's actually fair. She Mm. actually believes in justice. She Mm. actually believes in this notion of the American dream. Heck, I think a little bit more than I do. I think that she's an optimist. And I think that she 
was they know that she's not going to be quiet if something is not just. And I appreciate that context. This is why I wanted to talk to you because that's so helpful because it is. It's like, that's ridiculous. That is actually cruel to make this person pay this amount. Like, yeah, like that's just, you're just being evil, basically. (laughs) And with the case that one of the cases that she was talking about, that Holly was talking to her about, she, she reminded him that, you know, Congress had set up these sentencing guidelines and right. And he tried to shame her because in one, I don't remember all the details, but there was one case where like, she was basically saying, you're getting, you're getting, uh, what's the word? She didn't use this word, but basically like it was overreach. Like you're getting charged with all these pictures, but some of them are, you know, like just they're, they're using the number to like up the charges and that that's not fair that like, it's just not fair. Uh, interesting, interesting. So that they might actually fear that she's really, really fair. And, and, and she's not partisan. Not partisan. Right? That's where I was going of just like, she that impartiality is what we need in a justice. And it's what we haven't had in some of our recent nominees. Um, and, you hmm. know, and, and Justice Stephen Breyer, who she is replacing, was known for that as well. So it's it's not out of the realm of possibility we could have justices like this. But I will tell you what they like, what they seem to like, what Hawley and the rest of them like is justices like Clarence Thomas who are completely partisan at all times. And we're seeing that in more and more ways. Yeah. And I mean, and this is what we're experiencing now with his um, his one person dissent on the court um, when it came to uh, former President Trump needing to turn over documents to um, the January 6th committee. Right. He was the only one to dissent. Right. Out of all the other Republicans there's six, he's the only one to dissent, which was obviously extremely partisan now, because now we know that his wife had involvement in the January 6th um, insurrection. And so it's unfortunate that I think more people just need to know there's a lot of skepticism around the Supreme Court. There's a lot of skepticism around politics generally. But I think that it's really important for folks to know um, that there there is evidence that one side has really tried to tip the scales, not based upon what's fair, not based upon the facts, not based upon good legal argument, but based upon partisanship. And that's part of why I think this conversation is important to do a little bit of a look back now that she's confirmed, right. Of like why this is important now, like what is the, what are the implications of her um, being on the court and, and Biden being able to, to appoint or to be able to, yeah. Appoint a nominee. Is that what it's called in legal terms? Yeah. Appoint. Yes. Well, appoint. Yes. Appoint a nominee. Yes. Is that what it is? And so I think about maybe you can give more context than me, I'm sure. But like the cases that are going to be coming to the Supreme Court, the rulings that are going to be made that will shape the next decades. And that's why there's the, what's why there's this this battle per se around who's nominated, who, which president, which party gets to, gets to make those decisions and, and should we add judges or not? I mean, we're for, if one considers themselves a progressive or, um, you know, even moderate liberal, we're, we're in bad shape when it comes to the overall makeup of the court. Um, so she is replacing someone who, um, 
is considered to be a more moderate progressive judge. So we haven't gained any ground. So it's a six to three, six, three division right now. Um, This is very concerning. Um, We have more issues around abortion going to the court. There is talk of um, challenging uh, lower court decisions around LGBT rights. Um, certainly affirmative action is always on the table, right? Because it's, it's good red meat for th- folks who do not believe in uh, raising equity, if you will, um, yeah. or inclusion, right? Meritocracy, why do we need that? Right, and, yeah. and again, like they've not met a fact that they want to, <laughs> they don't want to ignore, right? When it comes to those sorts of things. And so, yeah, we, we're, we're in a, we're in a pretty difficult situation. I think this is why the midterms matter. Um, because if there are, um, if there are Supreme court vacancies, we would want, uh, President Biden to be able to appoint, even if one, you know, is not partisan in the, just in fairness, like a six to three, it's a, you know, it's a teeter totter with one side that's like, you know, trapped at the top. I mean, you're not going right. to get, I don't think you're going to get the best decisions out of that sort of majority on one side. There has been discussion about adding justices. I think yeah. that the basic concern is, is if a democratic president does it and a Republican president will do it. And then, and then what happens and is the court then completely out of, you know, out of control? Um, I, I don't think, I don't think that there's anything inherently wrong with adding justices. It's been done before. There's no, there's no um, specific number in the constitution, but I do think that a, a cleaner solution Right. Is that when we have vacancies, we both have a progressive president that is in place and then a Senate that will confirm. And if we remember all the way back right to um, the failed nomination of Merrick Garland. Right. It was completely fair for Obama to appoint a justice and for him that that judge, excuse me, not justice, that judge to get an up or down vote in the Senate. And yes. he didn't get that. And nope, Mitch McConnell was sinister, but I would also say masterful yeah. in how he held up the Senate. And so that's why, you know, it's going to be really important for us to use any opportunities that come up and use them strategically to begin to balance the court again. Yeah. I appreciate you talking with folks because I think the context that you bring uh, is important because like you mentioned with raising equity, we talk about helping kids ha- develop an equity mindset, being adults with an equity mindset. And I don't know if you read Ibram Kendi's recent um, piece in The Atlantic that basically was saying that uh, the Republican Party needs to is, is is supporting white supremacist ideology. And it needs to have that conversation inside its party. He's not saying Republicans are white supremacists. Like he's not, he's talking about the ideas that they're upholding and that their attempt to say we're protecting white children by, by countering CRT, by, you know, making sure that this isn't taught in the schools. He's saying, well, actually, no, that's not the case because if they don't learn the full truth of our history and our country in school, what we know is that they're going to learn white supremacist ideology on Discord, on Call of Duty, on Fortnite, and other places and spaces. And so, like, we have to be responsible adults 
and understand some of these intricacies so that we can support kids in making sense of the world that they're inheriting. And I know for me, I I don't always understand or stop to understand all the intricacies around the Supreme Court and why it matters. But I've had to tune in more because I'm I'm hearing the cases that are coming up, like you just said, and and the implications that the last however many years and nominations, how it has tipped the scales. And yeah, no, I think that idea of I hope I hope that some of the work we've done over the past, what, almost 10 years, Trayvon Martin, Mike Brown, the domino of uprisings, George Floyd, I hope that it has increased our capacity as a citizenry to have some straight up conversations about race and, and supremacist ideology, but I don't know. Are you hopeful? I don't know that I'm hopeful. I I'm hopeful for the long run, but I don't think we we live in the long run. I think we live in like the short term, medium term. I mean, the things as you were talking and I actually haven't read that piece and I really need to. I'm uh, I thank you for for mentioning that. You know, I would say in my own work with families. One, there's been a lot of research that's been done on how white supremacist ideology is infiltrating our schools, and it is literally trapping, kidnapping, however you want to put it, white boys. I mean, very clear and white middle class boys. And 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 it is through these online mediums. I mean, what what I, I was saying to a group of parents a couple of weeks ago. You may not want to talk to your children, your white children about race, but I just want to let you know that if you do not, there are other people that are more than happy to tell your and to give your children an identity. Right. So you don't want to talk about race because, you know, they're just regular, quote unquote, using those air quotes and they're normal using air quotes. And yet that does not give them an identity. There are people, though, out there that are more than willing to talk to your 12-year-old about his identity and give him an identity that um, it w- could potentially invoke pride, right? And, and when I say pride, I really mean white pride. And so it is so important that we do get into those trenches because I have sat with families just completely devastated because their child did something that's basically a crime or, or an actual just on its face, a crime. And it starts with this ideology. So I think that if we don't think about the context that we're in with what's happening with the Supreme Court, with how the Republican Party has used both the media, our own fears of everything that's changing our society, and they've used it in a reckless way, because instead of telling us what we all know children need, and you, you're the psychologist, you know all about this, and I know you talk about this on, on this show, We know that children need identity. We know that children need to be talked to about their identities and the identities of others. But that's not what sells. That's not what sells on Fox News. And unfortunately, what sells is the type of information where people went, you know, in uh, there was a there was Pew Research done about Ketanji Brown Jackson's nomination. And was it important? Was it historic? And who brought down the numbers? Right. White men brought down the numbers and no, it's not historic. No, it's not important. We're not all on the same page. I think what's happened is that we have people who have now become very awake 
and aware of what's happening and they're doing their best. But there is a part, there is another part of our society that's almost like these binaries, if you will. And of course, there are people in the middle, but there are these polar opposites, if you will, that I think have made a situation in this country um, volatile. And yeah. I think we've got to be aware of that piece. And I think once we go through that, I have high hopes for us as a species. But right now, we're going to have to really reckon um, and own up and get very clear on what kind type of country we want to be. Yeah. Well, thanks for taking that little detour with me. I wasn't planning on going there, but that those are really no, it's great. No, these are great points. Um, in terms of, and it actually brings me to my next question: uh, the implications. Like, what does it mean for her to be the first black woman? Like, and thinking about the, that it is historic, that it's, it is landmark and how we're in 2022. And there are still so many places where we're having the first, right? That there, that there are places where in which I've been the first, and I imagine there have been for you. And so thinking about that identity as a black woman specifically is something I was curious for you to share your thoughts on. I think one of the things that really hit me in all of it, and I think a lot of lawyers of color think about this, the constitution never, when it was written, did not contemplate for me. It didn't accept as property, except as how I would be counted so other people could vote more or get have their votes count more. But my, my personhood was not contemplated in the constitution and neither was hers. And so to see her, and I did, I listened to her um, at the White House, they had a celebration and she spoke and she talked about, she quoted that um, Maya Angelou quote, um, or that statement that Maya Angelou uh, made, I am the dream of a slave. And I think that, you know, I I don't, I never, I, I don't use that, so often, because, you know, I don't know. I don't know what my ancestors dreamed. Actually, that's something I'm very curious about, frankly. But I do know that it is quite a remarkable thing to see her and see the embodiment of a Black woman going on to a court that for years contemplated us Black people as chattel. And now she is there. And I think that um, it is both, there's both grief there and there's also celebration there. There's excitement there. And there's also like realism there, like what she will be able to do. And I think about Justice um, Sonia Sotomayor as she has been on the court. You know, she um, did some work and then began to look at research of how many times women, just women justices, are interrupted on the Supreme Court by their male counterparts. Really? And it's a lot. I mean, it was a lot. Uh, And it took her, right, a Latinx woman to come onto the court and to be like, "Mm, I'm not feeling this interruption, right? So we have had women justices on the Supreme Court, right? She was the one to say, "Um, that's not going to work for me. And so let's look at the rules. And so the rules have actually changed. Now it's still by seniority. So you ask your questions based upon your seniority, but you're not interrupted. And 
And I was reading a little bit about this and where she said, like, it has changed even the tone and tenor of how they have their own deliberations now that men are interrupting women all the time. That is important for the court. It's an important reflection in our society. And I, I have high hopes that Justice Brown Jackson will be insightful in her, in the decisions that she's a part of, in the, you know, the court filings that she, you know, each judge does look at different filings that she's able to preside over in her dissents and in the ways that she also makes that institution show up to meet her too. Because I think that that's a lot of what Justice Sotomayor was doing in that moment. I believe that um, Justice uh, Brown Jackson will do the same. And it's Mm -hmm. important. And I do, it's it's exciting, like, of course, and this picture was all over um, Facebook of her daughter just beaming with pride, of her husband crying, of all of those different things. I think that is so important. And it is important for me to be able to turn to my daughters and say, you you can also be a Supreme Court justice. You don't have to necessarily be the first. (laughs) When I was a child, I'll just say this quickly. When I was a child, my eighth grade teacher said to me, Nicole, you will be the first black Supreme Court, just black female Supreme Court justice. And even in eighth grade, I said to her, I hope we don't have to wait that long. And, you know, it's it's great that my children won't have that feeling of hasn't happened yet. We need it to happen. Um, But it's exciting to see her her pave the way. Um, she's not a messiah. She is one of nine. Right. And one of the things that got me was that it's still, we're still in swimming in a very small pool, right? So she went to Harvard in undergrad and for law school. And so I'm I'm not down. I'm not, I don't mean to sound, uh, minimizing or, uh, in any way denigrating, but like, we're still swimming in that same small pool of who could be a Supreme court justice. And she she did everything right. Right. She She did did all along the way. She did. And what I love as a professor, the piece where she talked about being on campus and seeing the other black student to be like, you can do this. You can right, like that saw her imposter syndrome in her body and was like, you got this. And that wasn't the exact words, but right. Like it was affirming words. And it just made me think about like the power of affirming each other, the power of, of community, even when we don't know each other. And that is something about, I think black folks as a collective uh, in terms of having each other's back. And so, and also just to name, right. Like the ways in which she did have to uh, walk this very narrow path. And I'm proud of her. And I'm, I'm, I am as a black woman. And I also just want to highlight that, that, but for some of those very tight rope decisions, being the editor of the law journal, like there are things that you have to do that, that we disproportionately aren't in position to do. And I, and I think very often, you know, the thing that we, we can do better with is understanding that the system is set up where only a few people are going to make it. And so when we don't make it, like when we don't make it to the Supreme Court, when we don't make it through law school or we don't make it through our PhD program, right? there are real structural issues going on. And it does not mean that because we didn't become the first or the only or the solo, we're not, we're not doing things. 
right. um, that we're, that it doesn't matter. That affirmation should be at every level, no matter what level we reach. And I think, yeah. um, I think that's important because this, the whole issue of imposter syndrome, right. That, that plagues justice Brown Jackson. It probably plagues other folks on the Supreme court. Yeah. It, it plagues folks that don't make it to the Supreme court. Exactly. And I have to navigate it myself personally. There are times where I'm like, yeah, so that's just, that's part of it. Okay. I don't want to leave our conversation without also talking about there's some, there's some personal tea that you have with justice Brown Jackson. Is there not? (laughs) It's so, so, okay. So when people, um, I did see some things in social media where people were like, okay, that's her husband. Her husband's white, her husband's this, his husband, like, how do, does he really support her? Mm. I'm just going to take y'all back to 2012. And I was not feeling well. I did not know what was wrong with me. And I went through all these tests. And then I ended up in Dr. Patrick Jackson's office. I live in D.C. His office is in D.C. I needed to have surgery. And when I tell you, he went on, if I was there 20 minutes and my husband was there too, and he will attest for 17 and a half, he was talking about his wife and not talking about his wife. Like, okay, two black people walked in the room. Therefore, let me talk to you about his wife. He was like, oh, you're a lawyer. Oh, this is my wife. And then like, you know, what we had noticed behind him is a bookshelf of like every single moment, every picture, not, not her like awards, but every picture of her getting an award probably for years. He told us about his kids. He told us about their partnership and how they met and just, (laughs) I walked out of the, I totally remember this. I walked out of the office and I looked at my husband. I said, well, he loves his wife. Like teasing, like, mm, you talking about me like that out in the streets? Right. She nowhere to be found. Right. right? And um, <laughs> wonderful. I mean, wonderful doctor and teasing that, you know, we didn't talk about me at all. But he he really was a wonderful doctor. You could tell how much he loved her. And oh. I think that for everybody in relationships, personally, what I've taken away is like, be like that. Be the one crying, you know, behind the person who is, who's your spouse, who's getting the accolades who like be the one who's just there holding the coffee, just ready to, you know, didn't want to pounce on these people attacking his wife, but really just like stood and, and, and was there for her. So, yeah, so that's my personal, (laughs) that's so DC. Well, I can't thank you enough for giving us not only the political tea, but also the personal tea on Justice Brown Jackson. Um, you, yeah, you've given us that context. If folks want to hear more of your wisdom and insights, how can they find you, Nicole? Yeah, the best place to find me is over at Inclusive Life. Um, we are on Facebook and we have a Facebook community that you can join just where we're having really deep conversations about issues of equity and inclusion, but it's a no call out, full accountability community. So um, we'd love for you to join us there. We're also on Instagram. Um, and then inclusivelife.co is our website. So feel free to find me there. You can also find me on Instagram, um, Nicole um, I-L, at Nicole uh, I-L. I, I need to do better, though, at posting. <laughs> I'm working on it. We all, <laughs> We're all a work in progress. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And life is full, so. <laughs> right. Oh, it Wonderful. is. Yeah. And I can attest to Inclusive Life being a space that that does have 
have quality and substantive dialogue. And that you can't say that for every Facebook group. So. No, 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 no. Yep, yep. Well, thank you all uh, for joining us. And I hope if you are listening to this, you know, I want you to share your thoughts about not only the implications of Justice Brown Jackson being on, now on the Supreme Court, but also just that bigger question around how we all can do our work to have someone else's back, to affirm the work of someone who is moving through the ranks and and thinking about what it means for us to to create environments that are equitable and inclusive, that create a space not only where people can be the first or be a landmark, right, but also can thrive in those spaces. So they don't have to step into those spaces and have it be a fight. Uh, we want to think about how to create that climate and culture where we can not only celebrate the, the, the affirmations of people in spaces, but also let them be their full selves and live their greatest potential. And so I think we all have a role in that. But I was I was excited today to think specifically about Judge Brown Jackson because I, I I've heard so much uh, press around kind of her and her appointment and what it means and what it doesn't. I, I think that we often think about it only as this one person, but I want us to also see the broader context of what it means for the Supreme Court and what it means for for us in, in our society. So I hope it got you thinking and reflecting. Thanks for joining me on Raising Equity. Raising Equity.